2: Is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network Hello
0: everyone and welcome to another BRFCS podcast. It's been a while but we're back and raring to go. There's a lot to reflect on, both on the pitch and off the pitch, and we've got a great panel for you tonight. Yes, hello everyone, and a very warm welcome indeed to this latest BRFCS podcast. It's been a while, as we said, but it's great to be back at the end of another international break, which, if anything, reiterates the relative importance and attractiveness of club football, even in Tier 3. We've seen Rovers string together a run of wins, only to toy with us by losing at home to Wimbledon. But more on that later. We've a lot to get through, so in the manner of a high line Jurgen Klopp defence, let's press on. So on to tonight's episode then, with the pod squad now injury and suspension free, competition for places is becoming intense. The lineup tonight is a chance to lay down a marker and stake a claim for a regular starting spot. So he allegedly angled for a move to a Barcelona-based podcast during the window, but we dug our heels in and refused to negotiate. So it's welcome back, fully refreshed, to Josh Boswell. Josh, how do we find you tonight?
2: I'm very good, very good. Uh, disappointed not to be in Catalonia. However, I'll take this as a backup.
0: Although with everything that's happened there recently, perhaps then you're safer in East Lancashire. Yeah, yeah, probably a <laughs> decent call. Decent call. Now he showed versatility last time in the dual role of panelist and special guest and he returns once more. We're delighted to welcome back the editor of Four Thousand Holes Fanzine. It's Scott Sumner. How's life treating you, Scott?
1: Really good, thank you. In the middle of um putting together issue eighty eight of the fanzine, but good to have a break and, and do this. So thanks for inviting me back.
0: You're very welcome, so we'll we'll hear more of that later on, I'm sure. You can update us in part two. And lastly on the panel tonight, he debuted strongly last time out, in particular a father-in-law directed Burnley-centric rant which earned plaudits across the podosphere. So we've signed him up, given him a squad number, it's the Marple Leaf, Mr Michael Taylor. Good evening,
3: Michael. Good evening, and I've got a very very homely rant to my father-in-law, who is also Irish, um, who's celebrating, <laughs> obviously the Shane Duffy-inspired heroics in Cardiff last night, whilst I'm commiserating with my own father, who is Welsh."
0: Splendid. I caught between two stools there. So, that's your panel for part one, in which we'll review the games that have been played since we last convened. There's quite a lot of material to consider, as it's been a while. And then in part two, we'll recap some of the -the off-the-field stuff, and we'll look forward to the upcoming matches and try to second-guess how Tony Mowbray's team might shape up and we'll also pose and perhaps answer some of the questions that have been raised recently on the BRFCS forum. So that's our running order. Let's get on with the show. Uh, Rochdale and Scunthorpe away. Two potentially tricky games. Two wins on the bounce. Was that the first signs that Rovers were getting to grips with this division? Michael, what did you think?
3: Well, I thought Scunthorpe was the better result of the two, because even though it was narrower. Um Because we ground it out, you know, it's 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 what everybody says before the season, Uh, which of these players is going to be, is going to be up for a a tough wet Tuesday night in Scunthorpe. Well, we all were, and (laughs) and I just thought we ground it out. I thought Scunthorpe were the best team we've played this season. They played they played decent football. They always had a threat from Josh Morris, who has the prospect of curling in a free kick, and um, yeah, and I thought we were we were good for it. We rode our luck at times, but. I was delighted. Rochdale was a sort of workaday day performance we should expect against a team that, you know, its its, it's budget is nothing like ours and I think we, uh, we we carefully dealt with their threat. And in both games, we were never spectacularly dominant or or brilliant in a way that a, a, a dominant team running away with a title would be. It's, it's still that process of getting to grips with football at this level.
0: Yeah, I think battle is the word that seems to crop up an awful lot. You've got to battle an awful lot in this division and I think the um, the evidence it seems to be that we are at least becoming more aware of it Scott, what are your thoughts on those those couple of games?
1: Yeah, I totally agree they were sort of ground out victories Rochdale, quite comfortable really in the end I suppose um, then on the back of that it was three wins on the trot and and, and hoping to put together a fourth which we, we did at Scunthorpe, again Scunthorpe thought were much better than us, really. Sort of played us off the park a bit, and it was sort of a smash and grab win. But as Michael said, you know, we'll take that because um, suddenly it was it was four wins on the run, and people were dreaming of you know these long runs and digging out the history books of of when we've done that before. Yeah, that all
0: looked rather good, didn't it? But it didn't last very long, (laughs) at which point I'm uh, tempted to call on our panellist, Mr. Boswell, who seems to specialise in the glass half-empty section of the podcast. So, Wimbledon at home, just when you thought we got the hang of the division, what the bloody hell went wrong?
2: Josh? It's a strange one, really, isn't it? Because I went to Rochdale and I thought we probably had two, maybe three more gears if we needed it. Um, I thought we played well first half and then sort of dilly-dallied around in the second half knowing that we could go further if, if we wanted. I agree, Scunthorpe was uh, a great result because they, they were the better side, really, I thought. But those those sort of one mils away at Scunthorpe are the results that see make the difference between a team that finishes fifth and the team that finishes first and second, really. So we all went into it with quite high hopes and were battered back down to ground by uh, by Wimbledon. It's it's hard to identify where it went wrong. I think it was just one of those days, and and that's coming from negative Josh.
0: <laughs> I didn't see this game uh, actually on the day. I was watching Akrid and Stanley at Chesterfield, and Stanley ground out a superb away win, two one, and I was fully expecting it would be double glory. But uh, when I checked the results, I just I couldn't quite believe it. Scott, what 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 was your thoughts on Wimbledon? What went wrong? What could Mowbray have done, and why the hell didn't he do it?
1: Well, he had actually discussed before the match about maybe rotating the team a bit, but obviously when you're on a four-match winning run, you sort of the temptation is not to do that. Um, Raheem Harper had started at Scunthorpe, and I think Conway came in, which was the only change really, and it was just a bit of a flat performance, which was surprising after. You know the confidence which should have been running through the team. I think when Wimbledon got that goal, we just knew what was going to happen. They were going to sit back, and we just didn't have the players to to unpick the lock really. And you know, obviously he threw on the, the usual candidates in in Dak and and Chapman, but it just it just didn't come at the end of the day. And going forward, that's something he's going to have to work out better in those home games against these these lower teams who are just going to come and, and sit back and try to nick that goal. But, um, I think that
2: was the moment where he realised that uh, Peter Whittingham has has a role to play in this because we just couldn't break them down. I mean, Dak, Dak did little bits and bats here, here and there, but um, you know I don't know what the possession was, but it must have been 60-40 at the minimum. Um, I thought at points, other than the early goal, um, we were sort of really pinning them back, especially later on. But there just wasn't quite that, that killer ball, that final ball, and someone to dictate the play. So I think, I mean, we'll come on to it later, but Whittingham's ended up having a little bit of a role, and I think that was the moment in Moby's mind um, where he sort of realised what that role could be.
0: Michael, what what did you take from the Wimbledon game? What do you think Moby might have learned from that performance? I, I can
3: barely remember it. I'm honest. I'm, uh, I'm too old for all this football watching, Lark. Now, I um, That's I what highlight like shows are for, you know. Yeah, I know. Um, I remember their goal. Um, no, I can't remember. I can hardly remember anything about it other than leaving the game completely deflated and completely flat after having the um, overexertions of thinking that we were on, you know, we were going to win every game now between now and the end of the season. Um, and I just thought it's, it's a little bit of a wake-up call, really, that teams in this division aren't just going to roll over and let us tickle their tummies and bang three past them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the salient point. The the Channel 5 highlights, such that they were, <laughs> certainly seem to favour um, Wimbledon being in our penalty area than the other way around. So I don't I don't know whether that was just uh, some Wimbledon supporter on the editing desk at Channel 5, but... Uh, I mean, there, were, there wasn't much to see there. Um, the goal, I thought, looking at TV, was just a catalogue of errors. We seemed to have so many people
3: oh, yeah, I remember in that. the yeah, penalty yeah. area, yeah.
0: sliding here, there and everywhere, yeah. and not able to dispossess the guy. But, yeah, he took it well, but there we go. Yeah,
3: it all started, I remember now. Now you mention it, uh, when Richie Smallwood gave the ball away, which, of course, he well, never does.
0: No. I we'll have to rewrite the song as well. <laughs> yeah. Tragedy. Tragedy
3: he rarely gives the ball away. <laughs> Indeed, yes.
0: <laughs> so that took us then uh, off the back of that disappointing result to Shrewsbury, which is possibly, I think in this division, my favorite away day. Uh, I absolutely love Shrewsbury. I used to live uh, north of Birmingham and it was a place yeah. that you, it's one of those places you go to on a Sunday afternoon to have a little wander around. So uh, I was I was looking forward to it and I was I was optimistic. I thought we'd actually we'd actually do them, but it to me, it was our toughest examination so
3: far. So was it a good point or a lucky point? Michael, what do you think? Oh, it was definitely a lucky point. And as the bloke who was stood next to me, to my great surprise, when I got into the ground, wrote on the BRFCS uh, website, um, Bradley Dack, his performance that day, he attempts to excite, but he's, he, he's, he's a luxury he can't afford. And what was it he said? In fact, Ian, as it was actually you who said this. <laughs> an, um, ele- an
0: elegant solution to a problem we didn't have on the day. Yes, it was the price, brilliant, the brilliant. Genius, is. genius. <laughs> genius. Um,
3: no, I thought um, I thought we were woeful, actually, at Shrewsbury. I thought they really showed us up for, the, for all our weaknesses, and we didn't really seem to have a clue as to how to deal with them with, with as an attacking threat. And obviously, we, we stole the point. Yeah, it was a complete steal. And I think that was the game, really, that did for Elliot Ward at the back as well. Absolutely. Um, I don't know what on earth um, Downing has, has, has done to not deserve a place in the team after his performances this season. He's not put a foot wrong. He knows how to put his foot through the ball. Admittedly, he's only had to mark usually one lone striker alongside Charlie Mulgrew but he's a far better option for us at the back than Ward. Seems to be. Ward. And I, I came away from that thinking, I can't imagine Ward ever play, being in the first eleven for this team again, barring injuries. I
0: think one of the things that struck me um, watching the game was we, we had Danny Graham up front, Oof. but we played we play Dak and Bennett as wingers. Yeah. So yeah. if you've got a guy who you want to win the ball in the air and hold it up and then you take out of the team people that might be able to provide him with service. That was a bit I found peculiar. Scott, what was your take?
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Suddenly, Dak coming back to fitness has been a bit of a problem in terms of that good run we have. Mowbray reverted to a 4-4-2 formation, and it was working quite well. Suddenly, Dak came in, and he was squeezed out on the left on that Shrewsbury game, and... You know, we don't want to see him there. I'm sure he doesn't want to play there. And, you know, he wasn't really providing much cover for Derek Williams. And then when he was finally put through the middle, that's when he started to look more dangerous and, and nicked the goal in the end. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but overall, Shrewsville would look a very good side, you know, very organised, as you'd expect, no fear. Spoke to one of their fans before the match and obviously surprised at where they were, but he seemed to think that, you know, it was sort of a temporary thing, and and come the end of the season, they might be more mid-table. So, I think overall, it's a good point, but yeah, totally a lucky point as well.
0: So, Josh, what what did you think went wrong for seventy minutes, and, and what did Moby see to put
2: it right? Uh, going back to it, I think. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a big Bradley Duck fan, and playing him left wing seems. Seems absolute madness, really, especially when we have actually got left wingers. Um, it it was it was back to Tony the Tinkerman and formations for me. It just you know you, you think you're getting somewhere and you you think that you've got something, and then before you know what's happened, Bradley Duck's on the left wing, and Derek Williams is is basically playing the role of left winger and left back because Bradley Duck naturally moves into the inside. Um, I th- I, th- I mean, I th- at this stage, it's probably quite a good point, really. And but I think looking back at the end of the season, looking back when maybe Shrewsbury finished sort of eighth, you'd have think you'd have think we, we could have done we winning that, really.
0: Yeah, I think I think the the Bradley Dak situation was encompassed beautifully in that game. The guy has talent. There's no doubt about that. But there was a period early in the first half. Well do you remember Maradona's second wonder goal against England when he shows Peter Reed the ball and he just seems to walk past him? You know, the guy he's obviously he's got a head of steam up, but Peter Reed just can't keep up with him at all. The Shrewsbury right winger, who was an ex-Accrington Stanley lad, um, he just like showed <laughs> Bradley Deck the ball and three quarter jogged past him. And Dak just turned as if to sort of say, well, that's too much for me. And Williams immediately then had two on one. And that situation was happening time and time again. As soon as he was switched inside, then Shrewsbury had a problem. And that, that did make the difference. But he, I find him incredibly frustrating because there's clearly talent there and we need to harness it. But I must admit, he's one of those players that I think um, engages
3: and enthralls and enrages in equal measure. But there Ooh. we go. Where do you stand on him, Michael? I thought he was our best player for the seventy minutes he was on the pitch against Gillingham. He looked a constant threat. You know, he, he brings he brings the ball down well. Um, it, the techniques that you that you described really well there about how he takes players on. You know, he's got it in spades, and his energy. He's always looking for the ball. His his movement off the ball is fantastic. He can kick on and be a great, great player for us in this division, and the key to our to our success. And in that Gillingham game, he was absolutely gutted to be substituted. He wanted he wants to, to carry on, yeah. And I, and I think so. I think his attitude's right as well. And you know, I think early in the season, a few of us were a bit sniffy about him with his Love Island antics. Um, I don't think that makes him a bad man. I think he's a young lad who's got a lot of a lot of talent and um, and a lot of ability. and... I think we'll see we'll see much better things of him this season.
0: He could yet end up being player of the season. He is yeah. one of those players. Reminds player. reminds me a bit of the the Duncan McKenzie, that Howard Kendall. Um, this is one for the teenagers. Yeah, and Howard Kendall harnessed his skills and, and brought him into the team ethic and got yeah. him contributing. Uh, and he, he was a, that sort of maverick player that could just drift in and out of games. But Kendall seemed to get hold of him and give him a role. And I think if Mowbray can do the same with Dak. Uh, then he could be he could be an absolute star for us certainly.
2: And for the younger listeners, it, it think of it more like David Dunn pre Sooness. <laughs> yeah <laughs> be, before he discovered
0: beer, pies and Birmingham City. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Yes, yes. That's a good call. That's a good call. Rotherham and Gillingham then, two winnable home games in a week and six points were taken. So to what extent do you think we can relax because it's coming together? Scott, what do you think after those two games?
1: The Rotherham one, I'd agree with that. We, it was a it was a nice night, relaxing. It was comfortable. We didn't look like we weren't going to win it. Um, it's good to see Antonson get a home goal. He's it's, it's got some stick, I suppose, from fans for... for I mean he puts in a lot of effort but sometimes the end product isn't always there but it was a superb near post run to score that goal got man of the match but really should have had another in the second half I just thought with these goals he's actually been getting it might give him the confidence to finish off more of these chances then he was running through late on in the game easy one-on-one and he just put it over the bar which was a bit frustrating because we, you know, we want to see him keep scoring and keep scoring then, of course, Harry Chapman came on, one of his best, best performances coming on the sub and then then scored a great goal. Um, following on from that, Gillingham at home, we thought it would lead on against the lower league side, you know, team who were struggling at the bottom of the end of the league. But, you know, a similar thing would happen, it would be an easy 2-0, 3-0 result, but... Fortunately, it was a bit more ground out again. But at the end of the day, it's six wins out of ten now, which is the bottom line. And, you know, we've got to be very pleased with that overall.
0: Yeah, I think the things I took from the Gillingham game, uh, David Rea, I think we saw the very best of him. Uh, And equally, we saw where he makes it. He gives everyone kittens when there's a cross comes in. But (coughs) the three points that we got from that game were down to at least one Excellent save, if not two excellent saves. Josh, what do you stand on the Raya debate? What do you think of him as a keeper?
2: Uh, I mean, keepers uh, are a strange breed because they get better as they get older, typically, don't they? And I think we could be on to quite a good one for him to be sort of performing at these levels this early. When you think of sort of the the recent really successful Rovers keepers, they've been at their best as they've sort of hit early 30s. I th- I think that we'll struggle to see David Rea here in a few years, because I think he's destined for quite big things, potentially. Definitely above League One and probably at least top half of Championship. I really rate him.
0: It reminds me, I mean, I know we're in a different league, so obviously it's scale, all the expectations back, but when David De Gea first came to Man United, the comments that were, were Thrown in his direction was excellent shot stopper, tremendous reflexes. Bloody hell, he's terrible on crosses.
2: I think that's a cultural thing though as well, isn't it? Uh, Potentially, you know, this the Spanish way is isn't big humps into the box and early crosses looking for a six foot five target man. It, I think, it, it takes a little bit of, a, of adapting from them really.
0: Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that, and I think physically as well. I think keepers, I know Peter Shilton used to do loads and loads of upper body strength just so that in, incoming strikers would not be more likely to bounce off him mm-hmm. and he could stand his ground. And I think there's no doubt he's an excellent shot stopper. There's no doubt his reflexes are there. But I think I put on Twitter that if if Rea was capable of taking crosses now, he wouldn't be with us and we'd have a big cheque ready to pay in at the bank. Yeah. So I think your point is well made.
2: Thanks, Ian. That's one of the first times <laughs> you've ever said that to me. <laughs>
0: I'll edit this out, don't worry. <laughs> Can't have you feeling as though you're making positive contributions. You're my glass half empty person. <laughs> So, talking of glass half empty, there's a ground half empty that we need to talk about. Then there's one of the game. Um, Scott, you had the pleasure of being our representative yeah. at that game.
1: I was. It wasn't quite half empty. Um, I think the attendance was just over two thousand, which was a significant improvement on the uh, Stoke Under Twenty Ones game, but um, probably a similar story in terms of the match and. and terms of the quality on show it was just a bit of a a poor showing and although against Stoke we actually nicked that goal uh, the debut goal by Joe Nuttall um, unfortunately it was Berry who who nicked probably a well well well-deserved goal really and they brought a decent following as well so it was overall it's a better atmosphere than that Stoke game um, but but not a great night for Rose and I think he put in a lot of his senior pros who haven't really been playing as much recently and it was their chance to really you know step up and, and prove something to him. Craig Conway did all right, but he's just coming back after injury. Then it was Peter Whittingham's big chance again. Um, we've mentioned him briefly before. He's coming back into the scene a bit more the last couple of matches. He started against Gillingham, a few sub appearances, starting to look like the player we think he should be. But then he just failed to get a hold of the game against Berry and it was just very disappointing. Danny Graham up front, he was just left very isolated really by the formation, so a shame that for him that he couldn't, you know, get his season going. Um, And then on to Mr Gladwin, who was just sitting in that number 10 position behind Graham. And I've got to say, it was probably the worst individual Rovers performance of the season by Gladwin, probably a three, four out of 10 at best, just struggling to control the ball, giving the ball away, just running around in circles around Graham and just not really contributing. So I don't think we'll see much of Ben win in the coming weeks, to be honest, with, with the quality we've got in the squad. So are
0: you, are, you, are you saying I shouldn't have booked my hotel for Wembley then? Is that a tad optimistic?
1: We'll see what he does going to Rochdale in the final group game. Um, I suspect he'll continue playing a, a, a team primarily of youngsters. Um, and the youngsters... So, the youngsters who have played haven't brought shame on the club at all. In fact, they've really stated good claims, particularly the defenders. Matty Platt made his full debut centre back. Um, I know we've mentioned Elliot Ward before and looking like a liability in games. I would have no worries about throwing Matty Platt in there at centre back, you know, if, if we called on it. And similarly, Lewis Travis at right back, because we've got to remember that. These lads, you know, they're not seventeen, eighteen anymore. They're, they're nineteen, twenty. So really, they they should be starting to knock on the door. And from what I've seen, particularly the defenders, they look they look the real deal, and like they should be players who will be playing in the first team in the future. Well, I think we'll
0: come on to that in part two because uh, one of the things I'd like to to pick up is the, the comments that Murray made at the supporters consultation meeting. But let's call an end to part one. There, we'll pause a breath, and then we'll come back in part two. Okay, welcome back to part two, and in part two we'll talk about some of the off-field events that's been going on around the club recently, and then we'll review, or rather we'll preview, some of the games that are are coming up in the next week or so. So first item on the agenda, the supporters' consultation meeting. These are mandatory from the Football League, supposed to be held twice a year. Um, Are they of any use whatsoever? Josh?
2: Yes, if you would like to listen to Tony Mowbray talk. A question-and-answer session with Tony Mowbray. I mean, by the sounds of it, they're one step away from offering pie and peas and selling tickets at a fiver.
0: It's um, like the David Dunn evening.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, truth be told, I, th- I think they're a total waste of time, really. Um, you know, especially especially when you actually look at what is the requirement. The requirement is there needs to be two... Da- not two, That's the, that's the wrong wording... There needs to be directors. Well, we only have one, really. We only have Mike Cheston, so we can't have directors. We can have director, but our director isn't very good at talking to people. It seems. So instead, we reel out the manager, who is very good at talking to people and does say a lot of the nice, nice things um, that people want to want to speak about. But I mean, it, it's one of them where. I think they've been designed to try and get clubs and the fans listening to each other and talking to each other and improving things. But in Blackburn's situation, when the the only key decision makers are in India and s- still can't work out Skype, the, the point of the meeting is slightly different with us.
0: We should invite them on the podcast, shouldn't we, then we can demonstrate the uh, effective use of Skype. <laughs>
2: oh, absolutely.
0: absolutely. Yeah. They think there's a chance of getting an invite accepted. That will be quite the special edition. I'm sure. So, Scott, um, Tony Mowbray talked about not wanting youngsters to be thrown in at the deep end. Well, where do you stand on that debate?
1: Um, I'd be more confident than him about throwing youngsters in, to be honest. Um, I, I can see where he's coming from. He's saying, you know, we don't want to pile that pressure on them and break them. We've got to remember that these youngsters, you know, they've come up through the ranks. They've they've gone, you know, they've they've been put up against it. And and they're there for a reason in the under 23s and on on the cusp of the first team, because they're good and they're tough guys who can handle the mental pressures. And I think I've mentioned before, like someone like Elliot Ward, who's, you know, just liable to making a, a gaff, every mistake and, and, you know, letting a, the opposition have a clear-cut chance. These youngsters, you know, they feel us. They might make an odd mistake, but, you know, they're the future of the club and we don't want to to, to risk not giving them the chance because, you know, there's, there's plenty of matches this season where, where we can and we will need them. So, yeah, let's not worry about about using them.
0: Well, the, the brightest on the horizon, certainly, is one that isn't ours, of course. We've borrowed him, and that's uh, young Harry Chapman. Michael, wh- where do you stand on this debate about should he start, or is he better as a sub?
3: No, he's completely better as a sub. I think Mowbray's called this absolutely right. He's made an impact in every game he's he's came come on as a sub, except for the Gillingham game, where he gets himself booked for a silly dive, which I think Mowbray was pretty brave. Instead of doing the Arsene Wenger, I don't think I saw it, said... Mm. Maybe he needs to cut that out of his game. Um, straight afterwards on Radio Lancashire, and and frankly, we, we we started to become a little bit more exposed. There's a couple of times Gillingham are throwing men forward, and where's where's Chapman? He's kind of wandering around like a third striker. That's not where you need to be in the last ten minutes of, of a game when you're only winning one nil. And um, I think if he you know if he'd got another goal, and it always looks like he, he could threaten to do that, um, you know we'd be singing him from the rafters quite rightly because he is an exciting player you know you can feel the crowd lift when he comes on when he gets the ball at his feet when he drops his shoulder and goes past someone great player to watch but I don't think he's a 90 minute player not for us yet and he didn't do that for Sheffield United last season I think he got a hat full against Orient in the cup um, but he only got one or two goals um, You know, he's an impact player and they like yeah. him and he provides crosses but um, no, I think Mowbray's called it right I tend to agree. you must admit,
0: sorry, Scott.
1: I, I agree with that because um, he actually got his chance in the Czech Trade Trophy from the start. You know that was a big right. chance to go out there and prove to Mowbray, and it was pretty awful, to be honest. You know, going on those those runs into, into corners and just losing the ball, similar to Raheem Harper as well. Those. Two in particular, it was their real chance to, you know, push for a first team start, and they both disappointed. So, yeah, I'd agree. Mowbray's is called it right for the minute. But that said, with this run of home games coming up, I'd still be tempted to chuck him on from the start in at least one of them. Bottom the league side coming up to Ewood, you know, maybe take a risk and chuck him on from the start and get us two 0 up after thirty minutes.
0: It's going to be an interesting one. I'm, I'm with Michael on this one so far. I think it's the right thing to do. To hold him back, I like to. He gets he gets me off my seat, uh, and he's the only Rovers player at the moment. I think, with a possible exception, Dak may, may start to do that. But I love to see a player pick the ball up and just run past a full back and whip across him. Uh, it, it reminds me so much of early Damien Duff. I mean, he's nowhere near yeah. as good as, as Duff was, but it's that same kind of feeling that you get. Uh, but having him go up, going up against a tiring full back in the last fifteen minutes of a game. It's yeah. A fundamentally different experience for, for the lad as well, yeah. It gives him more time to go up. So, in, uh, also in the squad, new contract for Elliot Bennett, who seems to have taken on uh, a status at the club, which is uh, some people referring to him as, as a legend and uh, this, that, and the other. He seems a very likeable chap, uh, I don't doubt his effort. What what do we think about Elliot Bennett? Is he the future of Blackburn Rovers, Michael?
3: Yeah, I like him, I think I like his work right? He, um, I, I imagine. Those that monitor players' performance and the amount of grass they cover and the amount of kilometres they might run in the game, I think he'd be right up there. He chases, he chases balls down. Um, he's versatile; he can play in any kind of position, in the middle, on the wide. He can drop in as fullback where necessary. I'm paraphrasing Tony Mowbray now when he paid um, due homage to him on the occasion of him signing a contract. I think he's a he's a he's a key player. Um, Very much in the way that Mark Atkins was a key player for us when we won the title. That's an interesting comparison. I put him in that sort of bracket, yeah. Yeah. Hard working, does the right things. The only frustration with him, given what he did last season on a couple of occasions, I'd like him to just pull the trigger a little bit. I was going to say to shoot Have a shot from outside the box, because he knows where the goal is, and he's got a good shot on him. I'd like him to do that a bit more. Josh, where do you stand on Elliot?
2: Uh, Elliot? I like Elliot Bennett on the basis that people tend to be successful at Blackburn Rovers when they have uh, a lot of labor rather than art uh, to them. You know, the Savages, the Makowainas recently, the people like that, they have have—they've been successful because they are hard-working and they are relatable and while, while It is a small Lancashire mill town. It is about, there is something probably deep entwined in it about hard work and putting a Mm. bit of graft in. Can I also say very quickly on Harry Chapman, um, his contract runs out in May next year with Borough and very conveniently he shares an agent with Peter Whittingham. I don't know if there's anything in that, but I'll speculate.
0: Chapman's contract expiring, that was an interesting one. I think it emerged oh i became aware of it rather uh, long after we'd signed and i thought that's an interesting one that they loaned him out because yeah. a club a club that considers a player to be an asset will put him on a put an extra 12 months on the contract and then loan him out kind of thing so mm. he, yeah he, he's playing for his future in more than one way right so let's throw uh, throw forward now and think uh, what what we've got coming up in our upcoming league games um I still like to refer to it as a Lancashire derby against Oldham, despite local government reorganisation. New manager bounce for them against Portsmouth. Um, What do we think is going to happen there then? Michael, have you got a ticket for this? Because I believe it's sold out.
3: Yeah, I've got a ticket for it. I've got quite a few mates who are Oldham fans as well, so I've been uh, swatting up a little bit on them. Their, um, Their players haven't been paid for September. They're supposedly going through some kind of takeover at the moment. John Sheridan, who memorably... Um, has done a resurrection on them a couple of times and they've been languishing near the bottom and saved them. Um, is, is They're going to have to do a resurrection all of their own because he got the boot. Um, there's talk of Clarence Seedorf coming in as manager, but it seems fanciful at this stage. And they're,
0: they're all you'd, you'd never get former Dutch World Cup players coming in to manage lower league teams in the Football League, do you? Yeah. <laughs>
3: I'm,
0: think, I'm thinking of Barnett and, and Edgar, who it's gave it's himself amazing. the squad number one, <laughs> as if yeah. to make a statement. No, if Seydorf went to Oldham, that would just be extraordinary, absolutely yeah. amazing stuff.
3: I think it's as likely as Ronaldinho and David Beckham signing in a transfer window for Rovers. Wrong.
0: I think the last time I was at Oldham, he is under that like, war story, um, an Oldham supporting friend of mine got us tickets and he managed to get us ones for the director's box because he knew Andy Gorham's ex-wife. It's a long story, but it, was, it wasn't like <laughs> that. And um, Gordon Taylor, he of the PFA and former Rovers right-wing duties, actually bought me a brandy. So technically, I still I still owe oh, Gordon Taylor a drink. So there we go. Oldham, the coldest, wettest, most freezing away end in history. Even with the roof. The last there time we I
3: went to Oldham was when it was a pre-season friendly and it was after Matt Janssen had had his accident. And it was like, I was watching it through my fingers. He looked so fragile. Yeah. And, and I was devastated by what happened to Yanni. He was one of my favourite ever Rovers players. And it just looked. It was, it was awful to watch because he just clearly was going into challenges really disorientated and yeah. then I realised he's never going to be the same player again.
0: Truly tragic. That, that. And then we have what I will refer to as the South Coast Clashes, although they're both at Ewood. We've got Plymouth and Portsmouth to look forward to in the next week. And what do we think we're going uh, to get from those two games then? Scott, can you go and jump in?
1: Well, we've got to be looking for six points for sure. Yeah. Um, Certainly against Plymouth, it should be a home banker. But as we've discussed previously, the Wimbledon game, you never know when one of those is just going to crop up. A lot will depend on what happens at Oldham. If we win that, suddenly we've got that winning run going again in the league. And it, it should be a formality at home to Plymouth. Portsmouth will be a bit tougher. Um, but again, with all these home games coming up, it's it's a real chance to make a push for the top two.
3: Michael? Yeah, we've got to look for getting maximum points from these games. This is how runs are put together for climbing up the table. And I know you know, we don't know very much about a lot of these teams. I think uh, our mutual friend Jim Wilkinson, who blogs a lot on this, the blue-eyed boy, makes this point. What do we really know about these teams we're playing? You know, I thought that was Shrewsbury, uh, with Scunthorpe, and, and yet they can spring a surprise. But as you say, the table doesn't lie at the moment, and Plymouth are at the bottom of it. Um, Portsmouth came up last season. Again, I don't. I, we know very little about these teams and, and what they're capable of turning around on on, on. on on game day, just like Wimbledon did, you know, they raised their games.
0: To, we can to, legitimately call Portsmouth a Mickey Mouse outfit, no, no, can't we? Given by Michael Eisner, Got to get that one in there somewhere.
3: So yeah, so an interesting
0: week, I think, is is, is well, interesting ten days or so coming up. Um, Nine points will be fantastic. My word, that would make a statement. So yeah, wow. we're two games in that Sunday, aren't we? Yeah, which I think yeah. is
2: actually very useful. A lot of people are calling it, and I don't know what you all think. And saying, you know, I can't believe we're not taking games just because essentially Mulberry doesn't want to play with Charlie without Charlie yeah, Mulgrew. But I would a hundred percent much rather go into every game knowing the exact result and what is needed. Yes. Than, than leave it in other people's hands. I'd,
0: and I'd rather go into it with my best players. Oh yeah, without without a shadow of doubt. Why on earth would you you'd take somebody on without uh, without more groom? And he came through the Scotland match
2: unscathed.
0: You did on believe that. it or not, I've not, not heard no, of him sort of like falling over.
2: No, him. no, in our luck, he'll fall out of bed and break his break his ankle or something. Yeah, drop some mayonnaise on his foot. So
0: Josh, uh, what's hot on the BRFCS forum that we uh, we should know about? Anything?
2: What is hot other than the Shock New Management um, and and your podcast with Alan Myers, which is attracting a lot of attention? That's hot,
0: um, hot, off the brass, that one. Isn't
2: it? Hot, hot, hot. We're talking released an hour ago or so, something like that. The the Blue Eyed Boy column was, again, uh, a, a, a real conversation starter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and rovers are finally clocking on to the fact that there's probably 20% of all adults going into Ewood Park on a on child's season, season, child season ticket, which, I mean, it's taken a while, but they've finally got round to that point. I thought the light lit up as a different colour when it was... Yeah, a, it uh, does, but it there's... An, well, it used to, but there's no one there to actually differentiate between which light's switching on, yeah. which was the issue. And I think still potentially is the issue of, I, th- I think the system does identify somehow between what sort of a person is going through and you, what sort of a ticket is being used, if you will. But if there's not someone checking the light, then you can get through on any ticket. Yeah.
3: I've tested this out. I go with two of my lads and um, we just take the season tickets out of the folder, hand them each one. We don't even look at whose it is. And it's, yeah. it's the same response from the fewer than when I, when I get them back, I look like I've, uh, oh, I've just been having my 15 year olds, And I've never once been pulled
0: up. So, uh, time's marching on. Um, any other business? Anybody got anything exciting to add?
3: Yeah, I've been listening to a really interesting podcast this evening, actually. Ian. Uh, some guys interviewed Alan Myers, former communications director of Blackburn Rovers. Really? Yeah, really good podcast. Um, I wish I'd been around to have asked him um, if there's anything that he knows now um, that he knew then, would he still have stood up at the Northwest Football Awards as a Sky correspondent before joining Rovers and railed against how badly treated Steve Keane was by the mob?
0: Well, you, you, may, uh, you may have heard on the podcast, of course, I was, I was kind of alluding to what the media perception of Rovers fans was. Yeah,
3: he did. And, you, you asked that very well.
0: For and and, he, and he, he played a very even-handed response, which is kind of what, what I expected to be fair. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my, my take on this, I can't speak for Alan, I can speak for myself, is Steve Keane became the central point of the hatred, but he put himself up there and he was willing to take the Venky shilling. So from my perspective, if you're... and um, you know, some of the things he said about Allardyce, about Phil Jones and stuff like that, well he was clearly a fantasist. You, know, you sort of think, well, If you're prepared to do that and you're taking the shilling, then I'm afraid this is the the yin that goes with the yang. That was, that was probably my perspective, but uh, there we go. Scott, anything from your perspective?
1: Yeah, just sticking with that, that theme, really, of what was going on at the club around 2010-2011. I'm sure you may have already seen it in the past week. Um, the web channel Sport, in association with fans, not numbers, has released a, a few videos Um where the journalist, the, the Mail on Sunday journalist, Nick Harris, has yeah, it's re- good, revealed good, it? it's, I mean, it's nothing we don't already know. But, you know, it's sort of that good feeling, I suppose, the relief to see it out in the open and then followed by that a bit of a sinking feeling of, so what now? And it's, I suppose I just put the question out there, have we sort of reached the end point with that? Is there any hope of any justice? And if there was justice, what would that justice look like in terms of people, holding people to account? I think when you bear in
0: mind that in football we can look forward to a 2018 World Cup in Russia and a 2022 World Cup in Qatar, and nothing but nothing is being done about those. The you know, Rovers and their uh, and their problems probably are um, a low down on the list of, uh, of footballing misdemeanors, but for us. Obviously,
2: it's Saying a, it's that, a someone experience. very wise once told me that even the best liars can't lie forever. And on Russia, I had the privilege of uh, a week in Marseille in the summer.
0: Oh.
2: Anybody that is going to Russia is an absolute fruit loop. <laughs> <laughs> Including me members of the
0: England squad, I would argue.
2: <laughs> I, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even bother sending the squad, especially after watching... I mean, it should be post-Watershed, the England yeah. matches that yeah. have been on recently, just so the commentators can really describe what's going on, because it really is painful. Yeah, and, you know, you you combine those performances with <laughs> what, what I was watching in Marseille, and you're a brave soul if you go out there. I was going to
3: say, people are going to get killed, out not It's
2: just going to be so horrible. Genuinely, and I still talk about it when... when so people talk about England now. Some of the sights out there. That was it. Really was. Um, Peter, Barry, and Steve, who have had a curry for breakfast. Last night's curry for breakfast and twelve pints up until three o'clock in the afternoon. Getting genuinely, like, really assaulted, horribly assaulted by trained professional people. Uh, in broad daylight on the streets, uh, I, I went with a guy that had been in the army, and he 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 really did genuinely liken it to when they arrived in Iraq. He said it was absolute madness. So I hope the Russian police are uh, they're all ready, and they're going to treat everybody with the same bat. And they're going to look after everyone, and it's going to be a lovely, lovely World Cup followed by <laughs> the Qatar World Cup, where you can't drink and you can't be gay. My God, FIFA! <laughs> I know, great.
3: Right,
2: Guardians of the game.
0: Right. So, my my, my of the business is. Have you seen the thing in the press this morning about Dix and being oh, investigated yeah, for potential ma- match match fixing? fixing. fixing yeah. Oh. yeah. So my 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 obvious quip, and I got in before Mister Dilap, was well. Given that some of the games I've seen him play, I'm surprised that the ones that they're investigating are when he was a manager, rather than the ones when he was a player. Because if he was guilty of match fixing, he certainly, he certainly was. Let's let's be polite. Uh, it was subpar performances in a blue
2: and white shirt. Do you remember the Middlesbrough left back, Fabio? What was he called? Not the, not the one with the United. Rob back, something like that. Uh he's been arrested while we're filming while we're filming, recording this podcast Go on. for owning an illegal chicken fighting, rooster fighting syndicate <laughs> in Brazil. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell. So is, is that what we call this podcast then? Illegal rooster fighting syndicate? Without doubt. <laughs> there we go, we, we have on it. Gentlemen, sure. thank you once again. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, it's been a, an absolute joy. Um, that's the end then for this edition. It's been more packed than usual. Apologies for the five-week gap between episodes but I did have a holiday schedule, so essentially it was my fault. We'll try and keep these pods at least monthly from now on, as long as there's demand, of course. And as the season unfolds, we'll try and drop in some additional special editions like today's one with Alan Myers, so keep an eye out for those. We're now thankfully on the iTunes platform, so that should make hey. subscription a whole lot easier. Well done for, I think there was about five of us all trying to get that sorted out at the same <laughs> time, so sheer weight of numbers we got there. If you're feeling especially kind, it'd be great if you could leave us a review and a rating. It does help us in our listings and also gives us a nice warm glow inside when people say nice things, but also might enable us to get some sponsorship, which might enable us to do some interesting stuff as well. So my sincere thanks to our panellists, Michael, Scott, Josh, once again, for giving up your time to contribute to this podcast. Uh, And as always, thank you for giving up your time to listen to it. It's hugely appreciated and feedback, as always, is welcome on the BRFCS forum. So from all of us on the pod, thanks and good night.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
3: When Cynthia came to TurboTax, she just launched her new side gig, a true crime podcast.
2: I'm a first-rate detective with a
3: golden voice. As her TurboTax expert, I made her second income count by guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and her maximum refund.
2: Mm. What did she do with that refund? Find out next week.
3: Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts
2: only available with TurboTax Live.